0: I've noticed companies spending money to make good decisions because they don't want to make mistakes and because some of their businesses are genuinely under existential threat. There are shifts occurring here that are going to outlive the pandemic in terms of our working situation or doing things digitally, e-commerce. Uh, you even look at some of the results of the listed company group in Australia and some of the organisations that are in that homewares category, Adairs and Temple and Webster and things like that, because people are, are more in their homes and are going to be in working from home. There's a natural demand in those areas. So I think it's, it's if, if you're looking at your job hunting and you know, your job strategy, job search strategy, you've got to be aware of, and it's very competitive obviously, that there are certain sectors that, are experiencing increased demand and need great people.
1: Hi, I'm Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Hello. Hey.
0: Hi, Renata. How are you?
1: I'm good. You have a very nice background. I'm so oh, good.
0: Yeah, I'm at home in my library at home.
1: Okay. So yeah. there are three people waiting and I'll let them in. Okay. okay? Great. Just, hello.
2: Hello.
1: Hi, Amber. Hi. Nice to meet you. Have you been following the podcast or you found us via Diff?
2: No, I've been following the podcast. Okay. Which I discovered via LinkedIn. Oh, Okay. I think is wonderful and thank you so much for for doing it.
1: Oh cool. So welcome to the Job Hunting Podcast. My name is Renata Bernadi, your host. We are here for the final live recording for the Digital Innovation Festival in Victoria. It's a festival that happens every year and you know what even though it's a digital innovation festival it's the first time that it runs completely digital. And online. (laughs) So up until last year, we had several um, events happening all around the state. And this year, of course, uh, we are in a COVID pandemic stage four lockdown here in Melbourne and stage three, three all over Victoria. So we're doing it completely online. It's a festival organized by the Department of Jobs, Precincts, and Regions. I am really, really excited to be involved and participating by organizing these four live events. And you know what? Podcasting is a real easy thing to do. You just, in your pajamas, do it at home with (laughs) not much else that you need to do. But I've made it very complicated. I first added video to it, and now I'm doing it live. So if you're thinking about starting your podcast don't follow my example just stick to the old-fashioned format it's much easier but I certainly have enjoyed these live events and I will most certainly be doing them again next year but not all the time because it's a lot of work and Stella who is my podcast manager and is here today um, attending as well certainly has a lot of work to do after this as well But today, we have um, Julian Doherty, who is the Managing Director of Yellow Folder. And I will ask Julian to introduce himself and tell you about his career and about his organization, because I think that's much better than hearing third hand. So Julian, welcome to the Job Hunting
0: Podcast. Thank you. Um, I'm pleased to be here and I've been following the work that you do in the podcast. So I was very pleased to be invited to participate today and answer questions and talk about what we do.
1: Okay. So I'll, I'm going to change the order of the questions a little bit and, and ask you to start by telling us about Yellow Folder. What is it Yellow Folder and what does it do?
0: Okay. Um, we'll go back to my story then later. Yes. Uh, Yellow Folder in terms of what it does uh, look in essence, we're an intelligence and advisory consultancy. that sounds very jargonistic um, but in terms of what we've been doing we've been disrupting traditional executive search and recruitment agencies where companies go to hire externally and assess talent externally and we've been doing it and i think this goes back to the history that i did have which you'll probably ask me about later when we've been i've been working inside an agency environment inside an executive search firm And I've been at that briefing table with the decision maker, the CEO, the HR director, the team leader, who's about to bring someone new into their business. And I really felt that decisions were being made about the position description, about the scope of the role, about the remuneration of the role, about the strategy to find an external candidate without doing an external assessment. You know, normally when you make a decision about an acquisition, whether it's financial or anything else, marketing, you take all this external market data and then you make your, then you sort of set your parameters and it just felt very insular and this goes to my perspective. I was never a, an end-to-end recruiter. So at Yellow Folder, we feel that we provide our clients with advice. They still do the ultimate recruitment themselves, but we allow them to do it proactively and without doing it from an insular type of perspective so even before they finalize a position description or before they even decide on how they're going to restructure their business they can be sensitive and thoughtful about the strategy because they've asked us to to map things externally test certain things test their their value proposition as they call it their employer value proposition test market perception of things. Um, It's a fascinating type of work that we do because we're sort of researchers and investigative by nature. So you know what we what we sort of sell to our clients is you'll get visibility of who are the right types of talent for a role. These are passive type candidates, not people that have applied to us, but that we've identified without having to commit to a to a recruitment consultant or a shortlist who really, as we know, Those individuals and the way agency works is um, they have a commission in potentially promoting their favorite or existing candidates, rather than problematizing or thinking about things. And I know we're going to talk about it in terms of different people's career, people that have joined the, the podcast this year in terms of changing careers and thinking differently about careers. And that agency model just doesn't seem to, to suit that. So you know, I, just in terms of our fundamental things that we do or what we stand for, clients own all the information. So we're not an agent. It's very transparent. It's a collaborative process because the client's going to own all the candidates, own all the information. There's no sort of barrier to no, that's our information. And I find that for my sort of job satisfaction and the satisfaction of my team, a fundamental factor it's so nice to be able to you know go down a journey with a client rather than having to prove something to them sort of six weeks later which is how a lot of um exec search firms work so our ethos and our philosophy is professional services and and advice and objectivity to the to the to the what we call the talent market rather than agency of particular candidates and i could keep talking about service offerings and those kind of things but that gives you a high level What we stand for.
1: So I was interested to understand what sort of assignments would come your way. And I was, as I was saying, I had this situation with a client where it was a new role in a very structured organization, uh, very hierarchical, and they were uh, bringing in a new, very, very senior role. Uh, to work with the senior executive team but um, there was no job application it was a headhunting um, thing that happened and the position description wasn't really well developed and it got to a stage because it was such a long process it got to a stage we almost had to re-educate the people he was being interviewing or he was interviewing for on what the role was mm-hmm. it's almost like they had forgotten what the role was have
0: you ever see that. And I, I, that? And and it does happen in the sense that, to exactly what I was uh, mentioning earlier, when you haven't sort of done your own internal or your own due diligence as the organisation, even if it's an existing role, and we look at what's happening in 2020, existing roles, strategic priorities, and the fundamental capability that's required for certain things are changing not necessarily maybe a CFO role but other roles that may exist on a senior mid or executive leadership team we can't just assume that the same kind of ways that we thought about that role when we last recruited it exist and i do hear stories where the client says we've actually been looking for 9 months and i think you do lose your way when you're not taking stock of what what the what the candidate market is saying to you but also you haven't put yourself through a rigorous, you know, testing process of what's actually required. Um, Yeah, no, look, it does happen um, more than probably organisations would care to admit. You ask what kind of work that we do. Sometimes it is for one role. It could be right now we've got two CEO succession plans that we're working on. One's not to, one's a three-year sort of gestation for the succession, one's about a nine-month type of program. But other times we're working on a whole series of roles. A major bank came to us this year and said, if we change the the way this role is going to be performed, i.e. take it out of the branch and into another kind of way of working with the customer, what would that do to the potential candidate market for that role? How would people perceive it? What remuneration would be required? What, what would that um, change in terms of the perception of people's careers? So sometimes it's about show us in a diverse, thoughtful way what is, who are the right candidates for one position. Sometimes it might be show us and develop. And when I say show us, we do the identification of talent and then we also reach out to individuals and have what we call, what we call career conversations talent engagement type work, talk about their careers to help our clients understand the viability of these different, different strategies. So sometimes you know, it could be a company says to us, we're going to restructure marketing altogether. We're going to distribute the team. We don't need it all in Melbourne anymore because of COVID. What does that look like? Build us a whole pool of people for you know CMO level, Chief Marketing Officer, as well as the direct reports. Or it might be a really hard-to-fill role that's very technical and we need to do a, you know, multi-location. Global search is less in vogue at the moment because of restrictions, but, you know, it might be a very, very um, technical-specific, almost like deep dive into an academic area or a scientific area that requires us to, to research it and find the candidate. So we don't work on one, we don't work on, say, find one person and get paid or get, um, have a fee to place an individual. Our engagement is a professional services fixed fee to explain where we feel in an objective way, the candidates are, who they are. And then that leaves the organization themselves, our clients to execute on the, on the underlying recruitment, which may happen into the future. This is going to be quite proactive. So we're trying to give organizations control and more vision and foresight so they can make better decisions. Um, and I can, we'll come to it, I'm sure, about what that means from a from a candidate perspective as well.
1: How, how did you end up in this space? I mean, you touched on that very briefly before, but now I want you to deep dive on your career and what led you to be the managing director for Yellow Folder.
0: I think it's like, yeah, I don't, I'm, like, like most people, I don't like talking about myself, but I'm happy to talk about this one in the sense that I do love the work. So yeah. Yeah, so undergrad, I, di- I did my undergrad honours in, in political science. I did about two and a half years of a law degree. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do. My family, a mixture of sort of academics and healthcare. So there's that sort of researcher kind of part of the, back in, the in the family. And I, I'd never call my, my aunties in, um, runs a few businesses. So there's a bit of an entrepreneurship there maybe, but I was really at a crossroads. I was toying with the idea of a PhD, which would have been interesting, I guess, in, in, in Pulse I. Um, I did have a family connection into a consulting and recruitment business. Um, and I ended up there, just sort of not really taking it that seriously. Um, but I was very fortunate to be paired with an individual who was working for Corn Ferry, the global search firm in London. Her partner... Who was an He was an architect. Who was out here doing his sort of, year, you know, year in Australia, and she was working for for a local firm. And I got sort of trained and interested in exact search from her. And then the and this is what you find in consulting. So I've never worked fundamentally at any for any length of time internal in a large corporate. I've always consulted to them, and it's been really good from a from a professional development standpoint, building my own confidence. Um, thinking about products and services that can be offered but also as we said as I mentioned earlier observing some of what I feel are the constraints to the the existing um, incumbent model of doing talent acquisition from a consulting standpoint so I love to research things I'm pretty curious about most stuff um, like to try and problem solve so I get so excited about our work and all our team are all even our client sort of development people have all been researchers in the past because that's sort of our as our common um, co- common bond. Um, so, yeah, and I've around a 15-year period inside for the first sort of five years inside the search firm and then the chairman of that business, Jeff Slade, he helped, he sort of prompted me and said, look, there's probably a market for doing what you do externally and gave me that sort of uh, that prompt to invest in the yellow folder business that I lead. And, um, yeah, and, and the rest has just been, I guess... History.
1: The rest is history.
0: It's just easy, but it, 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 client-driven. Listening to clients, and, I, and and I must say, most of our innovation, we've had to deliver it in a commercial sense. But a lot of it is clients just pondering and saying, "Can you can you help us out with this decision?" Or you know, it's about a people thing. Or show us how our competitor is structured. You know, tell us if we do create this new executive leadership team role, if we took this function out, if we separated the two functions. What does that look like? So. For me and my team, it, it, it's, uh, it's been a really fun endeavour um, and it's been very satisfying from a career perspective as well.
1: Yeah, that background of loving research and having that broad yeah. sort of generalist kind of uh, academic background, bringing that to your area of expertise is really exciting. I, I love that. Um, it, it, you know, it suits, it suits what you're doing very much, doesn't it?
0: I feel very exceptionally fortunate um, uh, every day uh, in terms of the work that I do. Because it never, for me, I don't know why, for what reason, um, it doesn't. I'm, I know you're a career uh, career planning expert. Um, it just doesn't. Even though a lot of our work is quite repetitive, from some. I think for some people they find it repetitive. What we do for me, I don't know. I just find it uh, just it, mostly exhilarating. But often um, there's there's problems to be solved. Yeah. And the clients like the work and I think that's the other part of it. It's satisfying when the clients feel they're trying something innovative or new or they're getting great value in, and they're making good decisions. That's very, um, you know, that, 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 that's uh, gratifying.
1: So let's talk about the clients and about the current environment yeah. That yeah, we're absolutely. so today is the day after the announcement of the formal you know official recession announcement that we had yesterday from uh, our federal government here in australia we all knew that that's you know a recession announcement is always uh, in retrospect but we we are expecting um the next months and you know possibly a year or two to come to be quite uh, challenging for job hunters. I mean, job hunting doesn't change. It's a competition where you play like a tennis tournament and there is a winner and <laughs> and uh, what happens in a recession is you have more players and less tournaments. Um, that's how I kind of explain that, but it's still, you know, the, the rules of the game are still... Yeah. yeah. Mm. But what are you seeing from your clients from the employer's perspective and what's top of mind for them in the sort of uh, what's keeping them uh, awake at night or what are they coming to you for advice? Yeah.
0: Um so I'll preface it with a statement about uh you know size and what we stand for in terms of sample size. So we're still a relatively small business. We're a, so we are a small business. So, you know, with our total team, we've got about 10. Um, so um, we service maybe 12 to 20 clients every year. So it's not a massive sample size, but it's not just Australia with us. So the UK, California and New Zealand, we've got active uh, clients and we've got some projects over there right now, which gives us a bit of, Has um, helped us through this year, actually being exposed to some, I know we're all facing, the, it's a global pandemic, so it's affecting the world, but to have some other um geographies that we're exposed to in terms of economics at different points of the year has been helpful and i'll also say that our clients have traditionally been in financial services banking wealth management superannuation um, consumer products so whether it's sort of wine or food um, and retail so we can talk about that sort of shift that's occurring there Um, we do a bit of infrastructure work and a bit of defense contracting this year they're very resilient sectors, so defence is resilient in terms of ongoing demand for that. Um, the others are more cyclical or, or uh, exposed to the economic cycle that you're, that you're talking about there. I think the thing that I've noticed, and um, there's, no, there's no getting around it, as, as you say, it's a really tough, it's a tough market. There's been big changes in hiring intention and there's also been companies that have had just complete recruitment freezes. Um, you know, f- for us, because we do a- some of that planning work and the intelligence work, and because the stakes have never been higher for companies, I've been relieved that they've come to us to help them make a decision. I think I, re- I won't repeat it because we've re- sort of covered a bit of it, but, you know, if we split this off from this, what's the effect in terms of the candidate market? Or can you tell us what is happening um, in- with the competitors in this sense because that enables them to make a decision. Or we had one client come to us and ask us to analyze if they just distributed a team, say move some people to Brisbane, what were the conditions in terms of the supply and demand for labor there and remuneration that would make that decision worthwhile because there are costs associated with it. So these type of intelligence projects, which aren't relevant as much to this conversation, have been good. So I've noticed companies spending money to make good decisions because they don't want to make mistakes. And because some of their businesses are genuinely under existential threat, I think from a, you know, what we've noticed is, um, and this has been well reported, but I think it's totally relevant is that, and this goes to our client acquisition strategy, but also I think it's relevant for your audience that there's, there's shifts occurring here that are going to outlive the pandemic. So, you know, In terms of our working situation or doing things digitally e-commerce you know uh, even look at some of the results of the listed company group in australia and some of the organizations that are in that homewares category adairs and temple and webster and things like that because people are are more in their homes and are going to be in working from home there's a natural demand in those areas so i think it's it's if you're looking at your job hunting and your job strategy, job search strategy—you've got to be aware of—and it's very competitive. Obviously, that there are certain sectors that are experiencing increased demand and need great people. You know, Baby Bunting is another good example of seeing real ch- digital transformation and growth in 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 what it's doing, and the fintech businesses. Obviously, they're they're benefiting from broader trends that are that are not just 2020 things, but 2020. And the pandemic has been a catalyst for big behavioural changes. Digital health is another one, you know. I was speaking to Telstra Health the other day and they were explaining that there's been so much resistance within that sector to e-prescriptions e- and suddenly there's none and it's just the trial's done and it's all going to happen. Um, so there are these big things that are occurring in the underlying economy that as a job seeker and as for Yellow Folder to service this kind of demand we've been trying to track so, you know, as a, I mean, you talk about how you pivot or how you port or transfer a career and what I, I can talk about that. I think there are also industries and banking's an obvious one where they're affected and they're considered, but they're not, you know, not existentially not going to be around, but they're also not, they're, their margins are being affected. It's a, if not a recruitment freeze, then it's a, a pressured environment. And there's been a lot of redundancies in financial services and they're looking for ways to do strategic shift. Um, they can't just simply, for them, it's not simply let's just go online and, and that's that's an easy solution. There's legacy issues in customer issues and it's a very complex market. So it's not across the board, but we're seeing thoughtful behaviour amongst a group of companies in sort of financial services um, where they're looking to change up whole job families and um, job descriptions. And I think that does create opportunities. Um, the other sector I mentioned in consumer products and retail sort of talked about in terms of digital and e-commerce. And, you know, you ask yourself whether if someone's got experience in digital from, say, financial services, how portable is that to consumer and, and how do you make that case? And I think we can, through questions or the chat, we can we can. We can talk about that i think the other thing about it is also and we're doing this you mentioned this is a virtual conference now we've proven to each other that we can work successfully from home i know it's not easy and it's not i miss the office so much actually in my team but for six or eight months we've been working um in a distributed basis so there are going to be opportunities for individuals that can adapt to that and then can work you know, in a role that would have been in a different city and now organisations are slowly but surely and I definitely notice it's different between the, there's some more conservative organisations still out there, but a role that sort of on the PD says Sydney can be more performed from, say, Melbourne than ever before. So making the case around that or being aware of that or proposing that um, I think is going to be part of making as a job seeker at that managerial type Mid and senior managerial level, it's going to be um, part of part of the narrative and the and the story. Um,
1: Julian, I you, so many good things you've just said there. Um, I, I want to go back to the hiring appetite from um, employers, right? So the way that I see things, here we are, two thousand and eighteen. Things are crystallizing in certain ways, like you said, and any change or you know anything that's more than incremental seen as very difficult to do all of a sudden things just melt down and we're in this kind of melting pot and eventually things will crystallize again and somewhat differently you know it's not going to be the same um oh, and um, many people have been made redundant or jobs terminated because organizations need to adjust to the new environment but eventually they will With your help and the help of other uh, consultants or internally, they will find position descriptions for the jobs of the future to support them in a new era post post COVID or dealing with still dealing with COVID. What do you think would be the appetite for let's say your clients in incorporating in those sectors professionals with strong Experience and capabilities from completely different sectors yeah. I, I, coming in. What, what would you advise a, um, a client to do? I have a client right now, really capable, really strong, you know, excellent background. She's being headhunted for a role where she's like, Are you sure? <laughs> Are you, I mean, she's being contacted for a role where she didn't see herself doing it and she's almost like she's kind of convincing herself with my help that she can actually do
0: it. Uh, I'm glad we've come to this part of the conversation. I think, so when I started all those years ago, you used to get a, a brief from a client and it was very blinkered and deep, very insular within a certain segment you know, within the competitor group or within people that do exactly the same job elsewhere, that was seen as the prize in terms of the candidate and anything outside was quite a left-field idea.
2: Mm -hmm. I've
0: noticed in my, you know, 15-year career that completely changed and taking us to the the current times, you know, the idea that the better-performing individuals, team leaders, people leaders executive leaders, commercially sort of resilient people are those that have been able to succeed in different business models. Mm -hmm. So it's, you you better, you know, the the classic problem with recruitment is how do you know that someone has done this job elsewhere is going to perform in this different set of, this different culture, this different industry, this different location? What's an indicator of that? Um, And it's not sort of, you know, ref checks or how they perform in one or two what well, could be Zoom-type interviews, as it is the proof of them actually maintaining a record of success in these different switching switching segments. Mm-hmm. I think, how do you do it? You know, how do you, what are some practical things on how you do it? You've got to believe in it yourself. So your, your, your client, you've got maybe some work to do on her understanding or he or her understanding that narrative and that destiny for them. But I know a lot of people do want to that have faced redundancy Um, because of these massive structural changes that are occurring and do want to have to have used this time to say well actually i do want to structure things a bit differently or i do want to expose myself to different segments of the economy and society that i haven't worked in before i think we do a lot of you know in terms of the services that we provide we try and educate and make the jobs of these talent internal talent teams and and senior leaders easier to understand who are the right people. And I think that candidates can do a better job. You know, I know you offer this kind of service to you know, in terms of a LinkedIn orders, but think of your LinkedIn, which is fundamentally a great way to a great piece of collateral for your career. I think people don't spend enough time in that top sort of about section. And, when I, and I don't mean about their own, it's important to tell their own story and it's come to life and not over the top. I'm not saying over the top either. And, well, I'm sure we'll get some questions on this. So I'm not, it's, there's a balance to it. But if you are trying to say, I've done these successful projects or I have this capability, skills and knowledge experience at a bank, for instance, if you're an, recruiters of all types are notoriously time poor, and maybe their attention to detail isn't what you hope so you've got to make it a bit easier for them you say these i believe you know this can be applied in these other segments you can almost list them out you know these are the these are the career destinations i believe by doing by doing these projects in bank x i believe i could be working in this other services environment or the digital, digital e-commerce stuff we were doing here is totally relevant to this other, other business model. I think even, um, even if they don't understand it to the degree that you do, by flagging your ability to transform or port your career is a good tell for somebody who's reading on LinkedIn that you, you, you have that mindset, because that kind of mindset, I think, appeals to organizations in terms of resilience, adaptability, you know agility in all types, in all sense. That's what we're all looking for, and it comes up again and again in briefs that that we have. Now we don't want someone that's maybe tried ten careers in five years. And, you know, there's, there's, there, there are limits to this, and there's limits to how pros, prescriptive you can be on your LinkedIn as to what you're open to. So happy to, I'm sure we'll open the conversation up to that. But um, the good news is, if you are trying to transition. From one sort of particular, you've worked in one industry most of your career. There are ways to to port out. I know it's not easy, um, but there's an increased demand for that. For the, in the there's this thinking out there on that.
1: I love what you just said about you joining the dots for yeah. people, for people that are. I mean, it's your uh, priority, and they are busy and time poor. So join the dots for them. Don't. I'm-
0: Hundreds different. of LinkedIn's, hundreds of CVs, even for you know senior roles, kind of thing. How does how does how, how do you join the dots for so them? I think it's a great way. It's a great thing to take out from this session in yeah. terms of that. And I'm um, going
1: to email everybody that I've done a LinkedIn audit and just add that. You know, remember what I said about about, about section. I have this other thing to yeah. tell you. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks for that. Yeah. Um, another another good question for you that I think is really 2020 related is. People that are now unemployed in frictional unemployment in between jobs yeah. during COVID have no idea anymore about the salary range mm. because they have left employment, let's say, late last year. You know how redundancies usually happen at the end of the year, which is so sad. I hate that. And then, of course, this year we've had redundancies in March, April, May, June, July, Um and with those redundancies we've also had people that are employed but taking pay cuts yeah. and are being asked to go on leave and being asked to not take bonuses and this and that so it's really difficult to to work out what the salary range is what do you um think is the best strategy for an executive to approach this situation? Because headhunters often call and they ask straight away, what's your salary range, right?
0: Well, I think... I I asked the question when we're doing the engagement work with what we call candidates, um, uh, uh, the targets of our our research, I'll say, where are your remuneration expectations? And the answer could be, on my last job I was at this, if they're they're in that frictional unemployment um, status, I do. You do hear people say, um, oh, you know, because of COVID, you know, I'm just going to pick a number. They might say, I-, I was hoping for 150, but I'd look at 130 because of COVID or, two, you know, 180 versus 200. I mean, to be honest, we have not had too many briefs where cl- customers have said to us, oh, let's, let's reduce the salary of this position because of, um, because of, because of COVID. I think that they think... What what do I call clients? Our customers think that the potential available talent for a role may be more... They they might be expecting a bit more than they got last year because of the the availability. So I think that's the factor there too. My advice is to know your own worth, know your own situation, know that there's been some, you know, it's been a tremendously... um, upsetting is probably just the right word (laughs) for a year and if you're going to back yourself particularly in a career move you've got your own sort of base level but I don't think it should be too much from what your last role should be you know you know the other way to explore the market is obviously through contracts and interim work which I think are great particularly if you're trying to add a new um, functional part to your portfolio or a different industry it's a way to prove to recruiters, headhunters, and future employers that you can adapt. You don't maybe want to do contract after contract after contract, but again, it can get you back into the where is the remuneration level um, massive, you know, where is it now? But no, no, for the audience, it hasn't changed 20%. the remuneration levels have not changed 20, 30, 40% or there's not an exception expectation of that just because of what's happening out there for the right talent. So There has
1: been some bad behaviour out there, Julian, and I experienced that with a few clients and then the late Kirsty Bonner, I don't know if you follow... Um, She was the most amazing career coach of all times, passed away last week, but she wrote a very, very strong post on LinkedIn um, a few weeks ago uh, before she passed away um, about that, you know, stop this horrible behavior of offering, you know, Um, graduate salaries to senior exec jobs just because it's COVID. It's unfair, it's not right, and I'm telling all my clients not to accept it. And, And I think that, you know, the anxiety of being a coach and advising your client to be careful and not take a job when you know your client really needs a job. But it's, you know, half or more than half of what their salary was before.
0: Yeah, well, honest to God, like, we've not had one brief in the last six or eight months where the client said, oh, it used to be at this level, now it's at this level. If you're an agent, obviously your job is to get who, the best, whoever you can get, convince the client to, to fill the role with. And if that's forcing somebody who was on this salary to move down because they're obviously going to blow the, um, the client away at the interview because they're overqualified for the job, then you can see how that behaviour occurs. But I don't, you know, there hasn't been that seismic a shift in, in remuneration. Yes, the, the, it, it's, the clients think they're going to get a bit more more bang for buck, but we're not talking about yeah. you know, what, what you're referring to there.
1: Okay, good. We have a question here and Andrew has asked me to ask it on his behalf. So he's asking, is recruitment... Well, he, he, there are several questions, so let's go one by one. Is the recruitment industry broken?
0: I mean, I'm biased. So
1: (laughs) What is your take? I'm
0: biased in the sense that, um, that that agency model where you get someone to give you advice on making a really important hiring decision and they've got a vested interest in placing an individual that they may already know and you've got no way as the client of inspecting their work, scrutinizing what's occurred understanding whether that person was the best person or they're just the two people that they already had at the start of the process I think that is that 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 agency or subjectivity of the supplier um, I think that is pretty much broken and, and is ripe for disruption hence the the work that we're doing I think even where you know you know looking way into the future I think Andrew's referring to you know CVs and how people are going to connect it I think through technology and matching and recruitment Having a sort of a recruitment, um, having a recruitment intermediary that you know whether that's an internal person or uh, an uh, organisation like a Yellow Folder, or I think that will eventually, yeah, it, it will go. Um, and it can be very frustrating. I'm not, I'm not an apologist for for bad behaviour by anybody, but I, you know, I will say that um, I know with some of the clients that we have. They've had in periods of this year where for four weeks they've been in complete, you know, internal restructuring lockdown, and that's led to some poor candidate experience, you know, in terms of feedback, in terms of what's going on, or just wholesale, wholesale, you know, the whole the whole pathway to recruiting that position has changed. So, um,
1: so he's also asking about um, CVs, and and I think that that's a great question because. Uh, when you're transitioned from one way of doing things to another as we are, you know, we have to be on LinkedIn. Like, yeah. you know, if you're a white-collar worker, office worker, if you're not on LinkedIn, um, what
0: exactly. are you
1: doing? I mean, you're lucky if you don't have to be on LinkedIn, but most of us listening to this podcast have to. But we still need to do our resumes and we still need to do our cover letters. What What do you think we should be uh, watching out for in terms of how you know your clients are looking into this. Is LinkedIn more important than the resume? Are they surfacing different aspects of how they assess you as a as a candidate?
0: Yeah, I think I think it's a really good question. I think from my perspective, the obviously to your to your point, the LinkedIn is essential. A LinkedIn that's full speaks to the kind of person that you are, where you want your career to go is essential, not just. These are just a series of roles that I've had Um, in terms of substantiating what the roles were and how you performed them. If there's a genuine interest in your type of career history, you're going to get that opportunity to submit a CV. And that's when the CV becomes important to go through what actually how that role actually operated within the organization you worked what your success rate was you know that the cv really can is as a long form as a longer form document can really play into your hands here i think andrew asked about this as well i think if you know that you're applying for something or trying to pivot in your career and it's not about and then the, the job titles you've had and the employers you've had are different to those that you're applying for make sure that that sense of i've got these capabilities that are transferable features in the document. I know that would ordinarily be the case, but just understand that you've got to overcome some resistance to Well, how does this actually compute and the CV can help you get there as well as the LinkedIn. But I really feel the LinkedIn is the opener. And, you know, often it happens with all types of recruitment. A name comes up and the hiring manager will Google someone and just, you know, oh, that looks good. I'd love, to see the, I'd love to see Renata. Let's get her CV and so on. I think the cover letter is still important as well, even if it's just good prep for these type of, you know, interviews. I think I'm a big believer in just, just writing down and articulating why and, and why you're relevant to something can be a good prep for having a structured conversation when it does come.
1: Can I tell you and, and the listeners how I frame it? Go ahead. It's kind of complements what you just said. Um, I see the LinkedIn as you positioning yourself at a specific level of leadership. Mm. So sometimes you might be, you know, let's say a CFO, but your LinkedIn is not positioning yourself as a CFO. Yes. It just isn't. And you need to um, work your LinkedIn profile so that you may not have touched your LinkedIn profile for 10 years. Back then, you're a financial controller and you haven't really updated your photo or done any sort of activity for the past five years. And you just neglected it. So you need to make sure that it's at that level. Your resume is really important for due diligence. So if you're applying for that CFO role, it needs to be complete. It doesn't need to be perfect, but it needs to be complete because that organization needs to scrutinize the hell out of you to make sure that you are who you say you are, now more than ever.
0: I totally agree. And just to that point about the the LinkedIn and CFO, in your organization, your particular organization may use um, a different title, but it effectively is the CFO role. Right. It's called Country Finance Director or it could be, you yes. know, it could be even more obscure, you know, <laughs> yes. a, a regional controller. And yeah. that's, that, that's what might be, have to be on your CV because that's what's on your your PD. But, but, on, your LinkedIn, your but on LinkedIn you can explain that you are the CFO for the country, for instance. Right. And you need to, yeah.
1: And the cover letter, I think, is the perfect opportunity for you Uh, if it's the formal sort of introduction to your board or to the senior executive team to blend your career with what you know that that organization needs. From what the headhunter had told you the position description and what you've read in the news and then you say okay this is who i am this is where i think you guys are and this is where i think i can come in and invite yourself for an interview so it's part of your communication strategy so everything the the email you send out the cover letter and all the interactions is about you coming in as a peer as a colleague and coming strongly as a candidate just positioning yourself already in that role um, so I think the cover letter is a more formal way to do that. So those are the th- ways that you can consider them in isolation so you don't duplicate everything and make yeah. them all look and feel the same. They shouldn't. They're dif- they different pieces of collateral.
0: I, I, I totally agree. They've got different, they come out of different types of the process and even if you apply directly to an organization with your CV, I'd almost, I couldn't guarantee it, but I'd say the majority of the time your LinkedIn is going to be looked at and that could be the determining factor as to whether you progress to the next phase, even though you use your CV to apply because they might want to know who else that you know there or they look at how that's represented. So don't neglect the LinkedIn. Yeah.
1: Um, Julian, what's, is there anything keeping you awake at night? that you're worried about well you
0: love your job but love the job. um i've taken up i've taken up running i've tried to take up running um during this period um i was trying to get fit for the last few years but i've taken up running i've got an app that sort of trains me but it's hurt my knee quite a bit so that's given me some you know i find sometimes i'm waking up in the middle of the night because of that um i know that's not but i've got a foam roller now so that sort of that sort of fix that i think um You know, as as a leader or as as a team leader, the mental health of the team, um, we're such a tight-knit unit in the office and then having this length of time not being together feels like it's a bigger responsibility than we've had in in terms of our client work. So I'm not saying it keeps you up all at night, but I do wonder about it and try and push myself to think about ways we can do that better. I think one of the, and this relates to the audience here. It doesn't keep me up at night but it's problematic is how do we maintain interest in organizations and our clients or our prospective employers without being overbearing you know what's the right balance and and how do you you don't want to be tone deaf to what's going on in an organization but you also want to express an interest to want to partner with you or want to work for you so i think it's a i think it's a tough one and you and we're going to make some mistakes on that where our approach just isn't well received because we didn't know all this other stuff was happening internally, and it, it's just—and you, you sort of have to be resilient on on that. Um, what overall, you... I'm, I'm a pretty po- positive person. What they're going to do with the economic policy settings, you know, in terms of government support beyond that, it is—it is, it is worrying. I hope governments all around the world, you know, don't um, don't revert. You know, we'll keep the assistance going because I'm sure we're going to need it going forward and they don't um
2: what about
1: your clients what do you think is most uh of concern to them at the moment
0: i think for the ones that are lucky enough to be performing moderately well you know okay to moderately well is they've got budgets and this is the positive news about pent-up demand for jobs the budget's started you know financial year 21 is well underway They've got targets and, and it's not being focused on their bonus, but just on what they're expected to do. And they've had recruitment freezes or they haven't been able to or they've, there's been some um, reluctance to go to market on things. So I think there's pent up demand there for the companies that are doing quite well and they're gonna be concerned about how they're actually gonna find the right people. So I spoke to one of the biggest super funds yesterday and they said they had a four month recruitment freeze. It all got turned on about four weeks ago and now they've got 50 requisitions, You know, that, and, and they're not gonna be able to fill them all and they're getting a lot of pressure internally now. And that's why they're having the conversation with us about how they do it more strategically. So you've had a lot of companies under a lot of internal pressure to not do anything and now the time's already been ticking. We're already two months into the financial year, and they need the, the talent teams and the executive teams need to find people that are going to be, you know, right for the market. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a scramble. But I actually think, despite the economic headlines you referenced the recession, the talent market itself, it's in certain segments, I think it's going to do very well over the next three or four months.
1: Excellent. I've noticed a bit of a kerfuffle with you know. Um, Hiring freezes in one end and then the government um, putting on money into specific sectors like health, for example, Um, and then there's a hiring freeze, so the senior execs actually have to get contractors coming in. To run the projects, to use the funding, so it's kind of a bit of a, a confusion. Do, have you found that?
0: It's a bit perverse sometimes, isn't it? But this is I mean, we're all the level of uncertainty for making decisions I, I, in my in my life. I've never seen anything like it. So you have to forgive organisations sometimes that do those sort of knee-jerk or about faces, or it seems perverse. But yeah, absolutely. I've I've seen it where they've gone from recruitment freeze to all steam ahead in a matter, you know, it's a big, big change. And I think there was, and this is natural human behaviour, a reluctance to make decisions back in May and June for fear of getting it totally wrong on the economy and on everything else. But um, I'm not saying it's smooth sailing from here, but, you know, what we've proven is that life does go on, life does go on economically, professionally in many segments, not all segments, um, and, and they need, they need people.
1: Yeah. Well, that gives an opportunity for that entering or contract work um, experience that you mentioned before, which I think is beneficial if if you're in between jobs.
0: I've not seen statistics on it, but my in my sort of anecdotal evidence is there's been an uptick in interim, yeah, interim executive, yes, but also interim mid-type contract-type positions because of that. Do we go? How certain are we? Do we need this talent? So, if you're open to that and you express that say on your linkedin that you're open to it um and so talking about that as part of your career journey um i think that 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 may open up a few more opportunities for people
1: excellent well we don't have any more questions from the audience unless somebody comes up with one right now we are
2: going to can, can i ask one sorry i just raised my hand so oh, I, I, it's millie so um hi renata hi yeah. um julian Um, And that was really interesting conversation and now I haven't really formed my question well So forgive me if I don't make sense and I hope I'll try to convey what I'm trying to ask well enough Um, So my thoughts uh, and what I wanted to ask revolves around um, retraining So maybe, maybe in a different field or seeking you know higher education just to retrain so along that thought versus um, experience so um, we did touch during the conversation did touch on um, you know maybe trying to delve into different um, sectors or maybe say in the area of science it's a white umbrella so within that white umbrella there's still a lot of sub specific umbrellas that you know people are an expert in and and maybe to jump from one area to another is still quite a big leap even though it's within the same big umbrella so as a recruiter what is, what's your thought on the importance of say retraining versus experience because when one tries to go into say a different field even so even if it's say within the big same umbrella is still a slightly different Arena, um, you often have to compete with people who are already in the field and therefore have a lot more experience in that field than you are. From an angle of one who's trying to step into a new field, so what what do you? I mean, what what um, would give you a a, an edge over other applicants between um, seeking higher education or seeking re retraining versus um, um, experience, I suppose. Because I think
0: there's quite a fine line to draw between the two. Um, Millie, my experience is, and I know it is hard, Mm -hmm. in a competitive sense, when you are competing against individuals that have already operated in the experience sense within that job area, it is very hard. It is more difficult to make that case. I think there are different factors that weigh in people's decisions as to whether somebody can make that transition. And education is definitely one of them. But it's not a sort of, it's not sufficient. It won't convince someone just in of itself. So I think what we were talking about today about explaining through one's LinkedIn and through one's conversations with people in networking within an area that how that does, that transition has worked for others or does work is part of it. But having the actual training and the insight and the qualifications that are relevant, obviously, is very important. And it, and I know a lot of people are going back, either going back to uni or looking to retrain or add qualifications at this time because of the way the economy is. And I think they will be rewarded for it. But it is just one factor that gets uh, evaluated.
1: Yeah. I like to say as well, and, you know, when... I started coaching years ago and before Covid, uh, and I still stand by that, I've always said to my clients, the best time to invest in professional development is when you are employed. Because when you are employed, you can discuss with your boss the opportunity for them to support you, subsidize you, pay 50%, and you should always be investing in your career because I love for my clients to have a sustainable career plan and a long term career plan, right? When you are unemployed, especially if you are in a recession uh, type of situation that we are right now, investing in a very expensive program is a risky investment. And you have to think of the return, the ROI, the return on that investment for you. If your goal is to get a job fast, that may not be the ideal investment that you make. And there are other ways for you to um, get yourself career ready, job, job ready for um, opportunities that are simpler and easier and, and more effective. So, you know, I, I work with clients one-on-one to actually identify if it's a good investment or not. Because if a client comes to me and they used to be, you know, a change manager, but now they want to be a teacher, then yes, you need to change careers and go back to uni. But if you are a change manager, but you neglected to do some certifications along the way, maybe all you need to do is just crystallize that, crystallize the experience with the certifications while you wait, you know, for the jobs to come. And that's probably a cheaper solution if you are in between jobs. Julian, what do you think?
0: No, look I, look, I think that's right. I think the comments you made at the start, it's a calculated risk. And I think I think it's not helpful for people that are really actively on that job search right now, but I think I've taken something out from this session or many things out from the session, but what you just said before about when you're employed and you're having those professional development type of conversations, I think we're all going to take them a lot more, even from my perspective in running a business, we're all going to take them a lot more seriously in some ways because... Um, we can't assume things are going to be so linear and, you know, next year is going to be like the, the year that we had. So I think maybe a very, very small silver lining out of this is actually being more purposeful and constructive about um, about one's career and where we actually really, how we want to work, where we want to work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I think that's all we have time for today, Julian. you agree?
0: Um, no, I'd I I love to chat, but it's yeah. that's been fun. It's been fun. <laughs> It's been fun. It's yeah, been fun. I, I, think,
1: I think that we, we should have you back in this podcast because you have, you know, great intel for us. So I, it was really wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much for making the time.
0: I, 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 it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'll be um, tuning in for future podcasts as well. And all the best for everyone in terms of their job hunting and job search. And it's not it's not easy, but stay resilient. And um, hopefully there's better yeah. times ahead.
1: Thank you. Bye for now, everybody. See you next week.
0: Thank you, everyone. Nice to meet you. you. Bye. Thanks, Renata.
1: Thanks, Julian. Bye.
0: Bye.
1: I hope you found this episode useful and that it helps your job hunting and career plans. Don't forget to subscribe and follow me on social media and on your favorite podcast app. And please join the Reset Your Career community so I can send you free tools and resources to make your career advancement more successful. See you next time.